It's not just good conversation, it's your voice on the weekends. Weekends with Kenny Rahmeyer on News Radio KLBJ. Show. I just want to share my opinion. I, I was I was enjoying your show so much. Hey, thank you, Ken. And thank you for what you do for local original programming. You're great at what you do. Hey, I wanted to put you in your place about something. Come on, talk to me. What's going on? What's going on? Yeah, what's going on? What's going on? Tell me what's going on. I'll tell you what's going on. What's going on? And good afternoon to you. Thanks a lot for being with us on the weekends here on News Radio KLBJ. I'm Kenny Rahmeyer. Always good to be with you. And here we are, middle of December already. So this afternoon, the latest from the Mideast, including uh, more on that congressional aid package that's being negotiated. Billions of dollars for Israel and Ukraine tied to some potential concessions from the White House on border security. We'll have all that for you this afternoon. By the way, the White House announced a little bit earlier today that Ukraine's President Zelensky will be here for a visit on Tuesday in Washington, D.C. We'll have the latest on that for you on KLBJ. Well, you've been hearing this in the news this weekend. The president of University of Pennsylvania has resigned All this blowback from her performance at that congressional hearing last week about anti-Semitism on college campuses. We'll give you the latest on that this afternoon and some more school news as well. Different topic. You know, there's some studies that are out today about whether holding students back when others are promoted to the next grade, if that's of any benefit to those students that are held back. And there's actually some studies that show grade retention can actually have some positive benefits. We'll talk about that here on KLBJ and new Wall Street Journal poll numbers this weekend. More bad news for President Biden. His lowest job performance numbers of his presidency. And get this, if that's not bad enough, Hillary Clinton says she's going to get more involved in his re-election campaign. Just when it couldn't get any worse, Mr. President, here comes Hillary. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more for you this afternoon. As always, you can give us a call or send us a text at 512-836-0590. I mentioned that President Biden's going to host Ukrainian President Zelensky at the White House on Tuesday. His last visit to Washington, D.C. was back in September. And right along with that, you got to know all this is connected. Congress appears no closer to a deal in negotiations over tying immigration and border policy changes to this emergency aid package that would provide funding for Ukraine and Israel. That's the latest from CNN this afternoon. Republican Senator James Lankford, Democrat Senator Chris Murphy are the two senators leading the negotiations. They both said in separate interviews earlier today that talks are ongoing, but they still don't have a deal. 
Here's a little bit of what Senator James Langford had to say. We've got to be able to solve this crisis with 10,000 plus people a day on average just this last week crossing every day and half a million so far in the last two months. We can't just sit and say we're going to do nothing. Now, President Biden had sent a message to members of Congress last week that he's open to striking some kind of compromise with Republicans on border security. Republicans are demanding that this deal being negotiated in the Senate is going to stick as close as possible to the House-passed border bill, while the Democrats, though, say that's a non-starter. So the White House is warning now that this funding to help Ukraine is going to run out by the end of this year. And so that's one deadline, if you want to call it that. Senators are planning to leave for Christmas break at the end of this week. So there's another potential deadline. White House officials telling Republican negotiators that the president is willing to discuss what they call major concessions. Now, here's, here's some of what that's all about. Changes to the asylum laws that would tighten the initial screening standards that the migrants would have to clear to proceed with a full asylum case. Also, apparently, some openness to designating countries as safe third countries where asylum seekers at the border could be sent and expanding rapid deportations that would be nationwide rather than just at the border. Republicans want more than that. They've asked for the addition of some kind of new powers to suspend asylum processing at the border, just like that pandemic-era Title 42 policy, except it wouldn't have a public health justification. Republicans also want some kind of mandatory detention for asylum seekers, and they'd like to reintroduce the Remain in Mexico policy that would be used when detention space runs out, which happens pretty frequently these days, depending on which part of the border we're talking about, right? I mean, we learned just this past Wednesday, illegal crossings, over 10,000 just in one day. Border Patrol overwhelmed. And this report says some Democrats are feeling increased pressure to negotiate from members in their own party. Governors in New York, Illinois, elsewhere, pleading with the administration to send more money to handle the incoming migrant populations that are ripping their social networks to the seams in their respective cities. 512-836-0590. You can give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ. So you just wonder if any of this, in terms of negotiations, if the administration is really open to any meaningful changes. And when you look at some of these changes you got to step back from it and say, where have we been for the last three years on this stuff? They're just now getting serious about trying to tighten up on what's going on on the border. I mean, you heard Senator uh, Chris Murphy here. He's talking about the border bill negotiation, but he's saying there's no way we're going to cut, just cut it down and, and stop it. 
We are not going to support anything that shuts down the border completely to people who are legitimately coming here to have their lives rescued. But we are willing to talk about tightening some of the rules so that you don't have 10,000 people arriving a day. This has to be resolved right now, which is why Republicans have to be reasonable. We are not going to solve the entire problem of immigration between now and the end of the year, but we can make a down payment. You know, some of the latest uh, poll numbers, new Wall Street Journal poll. 64% of voters disapprove of the president's handling of border security. Almost two-thirds of those polled disagree with how he's handling all of this at this point. Likewise, his handling of the Israel-Hamas war. Not good results there either. Some CBS poll numbers out, majority of Americans think that the Biden administration's actions are, are not doing anything to bring us closer to any kind of peaceful resolution. Rising number of Democrats think that he's showing too much support for Israel. More than a third of Democrats think he's showing too much support for Israel. That's up from October. And, and those numbers from this latest CBS News poll. But if you put it in context of what Americans think is, is really important, Israel-Hamas war is pretty far down the list. Inflation, the border, gun violence, those are higher priorities for Americans polled in this CBS News report out this weekend. And there's another wrinkle in this deal about trying to get some support for Ukraine and Israel. This came to light late night Friday night. State Department is pushing through a government sale to Israel of 13,000 rounds of tank ammunition, but they're going to bypass congressional review. And that's generally required for arms sales to foreign countries. Now, this would amount to about $106 million. And the State Department says they're invoking an emergency provision in the Arms Export Control Act. That allows the administration to sell limited amounts of arms to foreign countries without the traditional congressional review process. So this arms shipment's been put on an expedited track. Congress has no power to stop it. The Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, was asked about that. He was out on some of the Sunday TV news shows today. And here's a little bit of what he said about what the State Department and the, the Biden administration is, is doing here. A small portion of what has been requested is going through on an emergency basis, that is moving, moving quickly so that uh, Israel can have what it needs in hand, but virtually everything else uh, is going through the regular order, through Congress. It's very important that Congress's voice be heard in this. So this is not settling well with many members of Congress. It's not like it hasn't been done before. State Department did this back in 2019 with some emergency provisions for an arms shipment to the Mideast. That time it was Secretary of State Mike Pompeo who approved some weapon sales to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. 
So it's not like just the Biden administration has done it. No one else has. It's been done a couple of times since 2022 to ship arms to Ukraine and Ukraine's war against Russia. So just uh, another wrinkle there that's complicating this whole deal. Arms for Ukraine, arms for Israel, and oh yeah, about some border security right here in the United States. Biden administration told members of Congress an average of 5,000 illegals are currently being released in the United States each day. And that there are over 670,000 illegals who have evaded Border Patrol in the last fiscal year. Those are the gotaways, 670,000. And some reporting by Fox News this weekend. At the ports of entry, an average of 1,600 migrants are being processed every day. Amazing. 512-836-0590. Before we go to break, very sad story, but with these numbers on immigration as a backdrop, you just wonder how many of these sad stories we're going to see in the future when our president's going to be, you know, sitting on his front porch, sipping oatmeal through a straw, retired, all the carnage that he has enabled on our southern border going to be long ago and far away in his mind, but there's just one story. This weekend, Texas police have caught a suspect in the murder of a 16-year-old young girl. She was a cheerleader. You may have heard about this story from Edna, Texas. She was found dead in her apartment on December 5th. Well, what do you know? The guy that they arrested for this, a quote, undocumented male, end quote, has been arrested for capital murder. How many of those stories are we going to hear going forward in the weeks and months and years ahead as a result of, pick the numbers, whether it's 670,000 gotaways, all these others that have just inundated the Border Patrol, they're totally overwhelmed, right? We don't know who the heck's coming in. What a disaster. 512-836-0590. Give us a call or send us a text. More coming up here on KLBJ. And Kenny Rahlmeyer back with you on this Sunday afternoon. We are live and local for you this afternoon. Always glad to be with you on News Radio KLBJ. I mentioned at the top of the show some of the news this weekend. You've probably heard it. Uh, University of Pennsylvania president and the Board of Trustees chairman both resigned after all the criticism that uh, she, the president, received from that congressional hearing about anti-Semitism on college campuses. And, of course, uh, the Harvard and MIT presidents were there as well. They are still in their positions at this point. In fact, uh, the Washington Times report, the MIT board, said that their president has the full and unreserved support on the MIT campus there. You know, interestingly, I saw this out of the Wall Street Journal. It's just kind of a nugget, but you got to wonder, what kind of coaching did these elite college presidents receive going into that congressional hearing? It's the same very high-profile law firm that met with each one of these presidents and helped prep them for 
their appearances before that congressional committee. I don't know if these, uh, you know, elite colleges get back with that law firm and who knows what the billable hours were on those meetings, right? And how much the cost was. Maybe getting back with them and saying thanks for nothing. Don't know. Don't know what uh, what was involved in those prep meetings. Didn't seem to work out very well. And yet, the MIT president and the Harvard president are still in place. Although, New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, who was the one who was really grilling some of these presidents at that congressional hearing, she's said that uh, the Penn State or University of Pennsylvania, correction, University of Pennsylvania president, that resignation only in the very beginning, according to Stefanik. She's warning that Harvard and MIT can now anticipate a robust and comprehensive congressional investigation of all facets of their institutions. So they've got that to look forward to from Congress in, in Congress's spare time, I suppose, right? But, you know, it, these three elite colleges were certainly in the spotlight, and they've drawn a tremendous amount of attention out of all this, but it doesn't stop there. And you just got to wonder how much of this culture, how much of this attitude, how pervasive is it on the college campuses all around the country? Another case in point, this from the New York Post this weekend, George Washington University's medical school hosted a faculty panel last week, declared Hamas terrorists, quote, have a right of resistance, end quote, against Israel. This was a discussion on December 4th titled Understanding the Conflict in Israel and Palestine. Sponsored by the School of Medicine and Health Sciences and the Anti-Racism Coalition and the Institute for Middle East Studies. Now, here's uh, just a clip. This was a guy, a professor of international affairs and political science, his name is Michael Barnett. And just get a load of, of some of what he had to say at this forum last week. Uh, that language has varied historically in terms of what the right reasons are. Uh, but since 1945, the only right reason is in self-defense. And so Israel rightly can claim self-defense. But I also want to note here that Hamas and the Palestinians also have a right of resistance. Oh, well, there you go. And so you just wonder with these MIT, Harvard, University of Pennsylvania, we're, we're just scratching the surface, right? Tip of the iceberg on how pervasive this anti-Semitism is all around the country at, at universities, maybe large and small, right? We, we're ever going get to get to the bottom of that or we're gonna have to wait for each one of these presidents to come before some congressional hearing before we find out what's really going on on some of these campuses relative to free speech and all the rest, right? 512-836-0590 here on KLBJ. So we're talking education a little bit, shift gears, and just want to share with you a little bit of some studies that um, I read about over the weekend here about holding students back. It's called grade retention. 
This is a study of third graders retained in Florida for low scores, and it found if they were given better instruction, they actually did better in 8th grade math and 10th grade reading than students who were not held back. They also hit better grade point averages in high school and took fewer remedial courses. So some Rand Corporation researchers did some studies, Florida, Indiana, Mississippi, Chicago, New York City, and provided evidence that grade retention in elementary school, generally grades three through five, when implemented as a part of a broader remediation effort, can actually increase test scores through middle school and reduce the need for future remediation. Now, this kind of research hasn't really persuaded a lot of opponents of grade retention that there are not better ways to help kids and just go ahead and keep socially promoting them, right? Researchers who see good results from retention say it can work if done in grades three, four, or five. Who knows if any of these kinds of, any of these kinds of studies are going to get any traction with any of the local school boards all around the country, right? Be interesting to, uh, to see if that pans out. All right, lots more to get to here coming up on a quick news break. Stay with us on KLBJ. And Kenny Rommeyer back with you on a Sunday afternoon, live and local for you here on News Radio KLBJ. Weekends with Kenny Rommeyer. Thanks as always for being with us. Before we leave the topic of, of what's going on in our schools these days, I got to share this with you. And, I, you know, there's probably these kinds of stories out there all over the place. And if they haven't happened already, they maybe one day they soon will. I'm talking about teachers who just said, I've had enough. I'm not going to take it anymore. And so uh, I saw this report on News Nation about uh, a former teacher. I think she's been in the profession for over 30 years, former eighth grade teacher. And she just decided to leave. And it was primarily because of the violence in the classrooms. And she just fed up with it. Now, we know we've, we've seen the stories, we've heard the stories. It's happening all over the country. And I just found her comments pretty interesting. I wanted to share them with you. So this is Stacy Sawyer, former eighth grade teacher. And she was talking about first just trying to describe her assessment of the kinds of problems that she's run into and that other teachers like her are running into in the classrooms these days? I just could see over the last several years um, that the misbehavior was getting so bad that most of my time in my classroom wasn't teaching anymore. It was trying to put out fires. And so um, I got tired of being disrespected and um, not only from the students, but even parents too. Um, and a lot of it I think is social media and um, these kids, they see other kids fighting online and they think it's cool. And so, hey, let's go get in a fight. Um, so there, there are several fights at the schools that I've been at and I was just afraid of getting hurt. I understand. Getting caught in the crossfire. 
And she went on to describe other issues that she and the other teachers are facing day to day. I've talked to other teachers that have gotten hit by other students, spit on, cussed at. Um, one even had a con- got a concussion from a student, and that student was right back in school again. So they're, they're not taking care of the problem, and it's a big problem. And then the, the moderator who was doing the interview said, well, in your mind, what would, what would be one of those solutions, or what do you think could be done? about all of this they they've used restorative justice which has kind of been shoved down all of our throats as far as um you know you you send a kid out and the kid comes back with a sucker because they're oh they promised to behave now and they got a sucker because that they did but or they get some type of reward and it's like everybody gets a trophy It, it doesn't it doesn't work that way not in life There you go from the front lines teacher who's been eighth grade doing it for 30 years and she's out. She said she's had enough. A study from News Nation showed one in eight teachers experienced physical violence from their students just last year. 512-836-0590 here on KLBJ. Speaking of school, saw this local story from KXAN and brings up some questions. Let me just give you the details here. From KXAN, parents of students at two North Austin schools said they're terrified after seeing a man with a long rifle walk the path in front of their children's schools for several days, sometimes twice a day, earlier this month. And APD confirmed that this man, 28 years old, walking in front of St. Francis School and Webb Middle School with weapons. He's also been seen downtown at the Austin Public Library, and he was actually arrested, according to KXAN, on Friday on unrelated charges. And so while KXAN is reporting on this story, they learn this guy, 28 years old, was arrested Friday on indecency with a child charges. And according to an arrest warrant affidavit, KXAN reports that this guy's contracted by the Austin Independent School District to provide tutoring services that prepare students for college. So, you know, it, it brings up some questions. This guy's been accused of sexually assaulting a 14-year-old student in October during a tutoring session at an Austin high school. So I mentioned the Austin ISD police officers arrested this guy on these charges Friday. So if this allegedly happened in the October time frame and he's just now being arrested in the early part of December... I suppose investigations take time. It kind of seems like a a long time for uh, a a guy who's now been arrested, allegedly for sexually assaulting a 14-year-old student. seems like a long time for that investigation to unfold before they finally took the guy off the streets, right? I mean, I don't know how long it takes 
obviously somebody's presumed innocent until the charges can be brought and there's enough evidence and, and all of that. It just seems like a long time, and I, I wonder if a lot of parents are not somewhat upset that this guy's been arrested now for an alleged sexual assault in the October time frame, and he was out roaming around, apparently, walking in, in front of a couple of schools with a long rifle, sometimes twice a day. So, so let's get to that part of it. Now, there's some experts who are cited in the KXAN story in Texas, persons able to legally openly carry handguns, long guns, shotguns, and rifles in public without a permit. That according to uh, a criminal defense attorney with firearms and self-defense practice, Emily Taylor, she was quoted in the KXAN story. Says, quote, with controls or what controls both long guns and handguns is that you cannot carry in a manner calculated to alarm. She said, alarm, as according to the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, is something that you have to evaluate on a reasonable person standard. Okay, so there's the law. And, and this guy was walking around with a long rifle in front of these schools. For several days, what if if this guy was contracted by AISD to provide tutoring services? I'm guessing they never brought the guns on campus, right? Did he have them in his car? Did he leave them at home when he's doing the tutoring and just brought them around when he decided to go out for a walk in front of the school? I mean, there's just not a lot of details here. From the KXAN story, a lot of unanswered questions, and I wonder if if there won't be some more reporting on on all of this in the days ahead. Kind of a troubling situation there. The good news is they've they've arrested the guy, and and we'll see where it goes from there. Five one two eight three six zero five ninety. Give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ. Speaking of guns. I saw this story in the New York Times, and I, I wanted to mention it today because it wasn't that long ago. seemed like it was back around Thanksgiving or so when we heard about uh, this gun swap or gun buyback program down in San Antonio. Remember us talking about this here on this station? I, I think it was a deal where you could bring in guns there in San Antonio, and you got HEB gift cards, Right. Okay, so this story out of the New York Times, I got to admit, I, I learned uh, quite a bit about the gun disposal industry here in this country. Because here's an example of the way it works. So just, just keep in mind this, this uh, program down in San Antonio where people brought in the guns for the gift cards. There are private companies then that law enforcement takes all these guns and turns them over to these private companies. And these companies collect millions of dollars for taking those firearms from police agencies. And then get this, they destroy a single piece of each weapon that's stamped with the serial number 
And then they sell the rest as a nearly complete gun kit. And then buyers online can easily replace what's missing and reconstitute the gun. Hundreds of towns and cities have turned to this growing industry. They offer to destroy the guns that are used in crimes, that are surrendered in these buybacks, right? Or guns that are replaced by police force upgrades. But New York Times reports these communities are, in fact, fueling a secondary arms market. Weapons slated for destruction are actually recycled into civilian hands, often with no background check required. Some public officials and gun safety advocates contacted by the New York Times said they had no clue this was happening. That's kind of hard to believe. But the gun disposal industry, it's a big business here in the United States, according to the New York Times. And, and this industry relies on contracts with public agencies, local, state, and the federal level. Here's one example. It's of an outfit in Missouri called Gunbusters. This company says they've taken in more than 200,000 guns over the last 10 years or so from about 950 police agencies nationwide. And there's roughly a half dozen other companies that do similar kinds of work. These gun auction websites have thousands of listings for parts kits, even complete weapons offered by these kinds of companies I'm just talking about here who contract with law enforcement agencies to handle disposals. Now, I guess they kind of take advantage of, you call a loophole, just, I mean, it's the law. To be able to say a gun is destroyed, disposal companies either crush or cut up a single piece that the federal law classifies as a firearm. So the receiver or the frame that anchors the other components and contains the required serial number, that's the piece in focus here. So the businesses can then sell the remaining parts as a kit. That would be the barrel, the trigger, the grip, the slide, the stock, the springs, essentially the whole gun minus that one piece that falls under the regulations. And the police agencies, the disposal companies, they all say we're following the guidelines put out there by the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Companies say if the public officials want the whole gun destroyed, then they got to pay for it. This president of this uh, company in Missouri says our services are free for law enforcement agencies, but if we can't cover our costs by selling the parts, then we're going to charge them. Only about 2% of Gunbusters clients have to pay for the full firearm to be destroyed. Very lengthy piece in the New York Times. And given we hear about these gun buybacks fairly frequently, just something I wanted to, to throw into the mix here with you this afternoon. 512-836-0590 on KLBJ. You can give us a call or send us a text. Lots more to come. Stay with us. Hey, Kenny Rollmeyer back with you on a Sunday afternoon live and local for you here on News Radio KLBJ. Thanks a lot for, for being with us. 
on the weekends. I'm just I'm going through some of the text messages that have come in. Always appreciate those. At 512-836-0590. And, uh, yeah, I got to read this one. So we're talking about the uh, university president, University of Pennsylvania. She's resigned. Blowback from that congressional hearing last week. A couple of the others are still in their positions. They're, they're getting a lot of heat, but they're still in their positions at this point. So here's uh, Dexter Kinney. Although any type of discriminatory rhetoric's wrong, why is anti-Semitic rhetoric any worse than the racist rhetoric your callers engage in every day? What radio station are you listening to, Dexter? Give me a break. All right, here's another one. Kenny, you have a great show every Sunday. Thank you. All right. Oh, appreciate that. Read them all. They don't always uh, make it on air, but I try to keep up with what you all are talking about, what's on your minds, whether you call or text. 512-836-0590. I mentioned at the top of the show, more bad news for President Joe Biden. Wall Street Journal polling numbers this weekend. Give him the lowest job performance marks of his presidency so far. And for the first time in a head-to-head matchup between Trump and Biden, Biden's behind Trump by four percentage points, 47 to 43%. Hypothetical ballot with only those two candidates. Interestingly, Trump's lead expands to six points, 37% to 31%, when five potential third-party and independent candidates are added to the mix. Those five potential third-party independent candidates, their combined support, 17%, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. draws about half of that, around 8%. And get this, the unhappiness with President Biden, pervasive, according to the Wall Street Journal. Much of it comes among Democrat-leaning groups. Only 23% of voters say Biden's policies have helped them personally. 53% say they've been hurt by the president's agenda. But 37% approve of the president's job performance, 61% see him in an unfavorable light. That is a record high. Democratic pollster looking at these numbers said Biden is falling short with several groups who would consistently vote Democrat, young voters, blacks and Latino voters. President taking water in all of those camps. And then how the third party and independent candidates complicate the whole thing. This journal survey shows that Kennedy would draw more support from Trump than from Biden, but that other possible candidates would take an even greater share of voters from Biden. This was a survey taken November 29th through December 4th. Latest numbers from the Wall Street Journal. And somebody that's got to really be liking the numbers coming out of this survey, Nikki Haley. Governor Wright of South Carolina for six years, U.S. ambassador to the U.N. under Trump. 
Just over 11% support among Republican primary voters, according to Real Clear Politics. However, in a hypothetical matchup against Biden in the general election, she would get 51% of the national popular vote compared to Biden's 34%, 17 percentage difference. If you remember a moment ago, I said uh, Trump actually edges out Biden 47% to 43%. Nikki Haley could say, hey, look, if you give me a chance to go head-to-head with Biden, I beat him by 17 points. Now, Trump's still the leading candidate for the Republican presidential nomination, 61% on average, according to Real Clear Politics. And so, a commanding lead, she's maybe encouraged by these numbers. Interesting, too, as we begin to wrap up here, interesting as well to take a look at that 17-point lead ahead of Biden of where Haley draws her support. And it's kind of an interesting mix of demographics, just a handful here. Independence. But they lean toward the Democrat Party. She gets support from them. Voters who somewhat disapprove of Biden's job performance. She gets good marks from them. Voters who hold a very unfavorable opinion of Trump. She draws support there. She draws support from disaffected voters. And also from better educated voters who've moved away from Trump. And then she gets support as well from crossover voters. Man, just an interesting mix of demographics that, according to these latest polls, fall into potential supporters for Nikki Haley. So, not sure if anything comes out of that, but uh, we'll follow all the results, of course, as we go along here on KLBJ. And how about this? I mentioned, can it get worse for President Biden at this point? I suppose, but... Daily Mail reports today Hillary Clinton's expected to step up her role campaigning for Biden's re-election efforts. So we got that to look forward to if you're in the Biden camp. And then I guess we all have this to look forward to. Get this. And it gets worse every election season. The ad dollars that are going to be spent on U.S. elections, roughly $16 billion next year. $16 billion. Unbelievable. Think of all those ads we've got to look forward to, to ignore and be annoyed by. Hey, we're out of time for this afternoon. Thanks a lot for being with us. As always, thanks to executive producer Garrett for doing a great job. Latest in news coming up next on KLBJ.